Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 188, 188 podcasts. That's pretty good. That's a lot. Yeah. So I'm Tom Maluli. And this is Tim Maluli. And together we answer, we're going to be answering your questions. Yep. Uh, so this will be a pretty uh, different podcast we uh, that we've done this week and last week in the sense that we are answering questions that we are getting in our mailbox. Right. And uh, they're pretty unique. Yeah, some of them are pretty interesting. So we figured um, someone's asking it, so other people are probably wondering the same thing. Might as well answer it for you in one big, one big podcast for you. Right. So why don't we jump in with the uh, first one? Sure. The question is, should I be listing my brokerage firm as a primary beneficiary? Okay, big uh, sigh. Uh, uh, holy moly. In a word, no. No, don't do it. My broker had me designate his firm as the primary beneficiary to my variable annuity account. Okay, so I just wanted to like um, – Find out who this broker is. I just, I have a real problem with this. I'm sure there's a reason why either he didn't know, I don't I know, uh, or I, that's uh, the case. I, I just don't understand why he would ever do that. I was told that, we're reading here the, the letter, I was told that upon death, a payment would be made to an IRA account that my spouse is the primary beneficiary of, as opposed to a direct payment to her. The firm is claiming that this is necessary because they're custodians of my account. Everything I've read says, never list your brokerage house as the primary beneficiary for anything. Okay, I'm not going to get into whether your broker is right or wrong, but I think naming... Uh, a brokerage firm as a beneficiary anywhere is a terrible idea. I agree. Yep. If if the money is going to go to an IRA account that your spouse is the beneficiary on, why wouldn't you just make your spouse the primary beneficiary of the annuity? Right. So I, I'm sensing that this is all the information we have. I'm sensing that this is an annuity that is inside an IRA. So that's a this, whole nother whole nother thing. <laughs> yeah, I have some real issues with this, but a, you know, a pre Department of Labor uh, law, uh, we'll, we'll find out what the numbers are this year. But before the Department of Labor law was enacted, for the last couple of years, billions with a B, billions of dollars inside retirement accounts have been placed inside annuities. So we're going to ask the question, I know I sound like a broken record, but I'm going to ask it again. Why? Just call up your advisor and ask them, why would I ever invest 
in a tax-deferred investment like an annuity inside of a tax-deferred account like an IRA or a 403B teacher's annuity. Like what? It doesn't make any sense. I don't understand. the there. To me, there is little to no economic benefit to owning something like that inside of a tax-deferred account. It's like tax-deferred inception, <laughs> a dream inside a dream, tax-deferred in- account inside a tax-deferred account. So <laughs> I, I, I have reasons I'm not going to get into in this podcast that I think may be behind those kind of sales practices, but uh, I just I would love to get a straight answer why someone would own a tax-deferred investment inside of a tax-deferred account. Yeah. Makes no sense. Let's move on. Next up, how would the inverse volatility index offer portfolio protection in the event of a market crash? All right, before we answer this question, you need to know that we are not making any kind of investment recommendation, nor are we talking about the suitability um, of any kind of investment vehicle in this podcast. So let's take this one phrase at a time. Sure. Volatility index. Measures the amount of volatility going on in the market at the time. Right. It actually is a projection of the projected volatility over the next the next 30 days in the market. Okay. So inverse volatility index. So what is the inverse or opposite of the volatility index? It would be the lack of volatility lack of volatility index. Which by the way you know, we're recording this in July of 2017. Markets have been pretty low key. We've had very little volatility. volatility. Historically low volatility. So how would the inverse volatility index offer portfolio protection in the event of a market crash? In the event of a market crash, Tim, how much volatility do you think we're going to have? Uh, probably a significant amount. So I can't really imagine a market crashing with little to no volatility. Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense at all. So an inverse volatility index will offer how much portfolio protection? Absolutely zero. And it yeah. would probably do the opposite. Yeah. It would. Yeah. It would and do the would... opposite of protecting your portfolio. It would. It would crash damage your portfolio. right along with the market. I mean, it yeah. just makes no sense at all. Yeah. Okay. So uh, let's move on to the next one. Sure. If I keep a trade open over the weekend, will there be extra fees, charges, or penalties? All right. The answer to that, the simple answer is no. There will be no extra fees, charges, or penalties at most brokers. Right. There is possibly another brokerage firm out there who may charge some kind of extra fee if you're using a brokerage <clears throat> firm that does that though i suggest finding look around a brokerage firm because yeah. most wouldn't charge any extra fees yeah if you're keeping a trade open over the weekend what that means is you have an open order to buy or sell maybe you have a limit order i want to sell xyz at this price I want to buy ABC at that price, or I have a good till cancel order, or I have some other 
open order, a limit, a stop, something, what – so the answer to your question is no. The bigger question that I have in reply, and I know it's impolite to answer a question with a question, but like what are you doing in the stock market? Right. The person who wrote this question, whoever you are, they're anonymous, uh, but whoever you are, do everyone a favor and get out of the stock market. You don't belong. And I, I mean, I, I don't mean to sound harsh, but I don't know any other way to say it. You've probably heard the saying, a fool and his money are soon parted. Okay, Th this is going to happen to this person because they don't know what they're doing. You shouldn't be making trades if you don't know how the trades work. Yeah. It's right. like driving a car and you don't know how to drive. Yeah. Equally as dangerous. Yeah. To everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Not only you, but the people around you. So please get the some education. There's a lot of it available online for free. Yeah. If you don't know, call us and we'll walk you through how to place orders online. I mean, that's really scary. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on. Can I withdraw money from my ex-spouse's 401k if he owes me child support? Can I withdraw money from my ex-spouse's 401k if he owes me child support? A lot of these can be answered in one word, but, you know, we'll obviously expand on it. The one-word answer to this question, again, is no. Uh, or you get a lawyer and have him, right. him or her. You know, help you out with that. Yeah. Um, but so how easy is it for individuals to get their own money out of a 401k account? Not too difficult. Well, you need some paperwork. Right. you got to fill out some forms, you know. It's not like going to the ATM. Right. can't just swipe a, swipe a 401k debit card and get, right. get $1,000 out. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. So... Someone else trying to withdraw, we know that there's, you know, married couples and formerly married couples, we, we get that. But let's just think about it. One human being is trying to withdraw money from another human being's retirement account, their 401k account. It doesn't work that way. Now, you could get a lawyer and go to court and maybe they can attach a lien or maybe they can do something to garnish wages. There are other things that can be done, but uh, typically, no. Interesting question, though. Yeah. Okay. Okay, next up. How can I determine whether or not my former employer will be able to pay out my pension? That's a good one. Yeah. Interesting. That is a good one. So uh, it's a big risk that very few people even think about. All they see, and again, not not wanting to be condescending, but I'll, it may sound this way, but all they see is every month I'm going to get this much in my bank account. Right. That pension is coming like tomorrow's sunrise, okay? Maybe not. Yeah, there are definitely some things you need to consider when you leave a company if you have any doubts at all, some companies in their pension plans offer the ability to take uh, a lump sum. Many and, plans. Yeah, yeah. And, and get the money out of your pension. There's a trade-off there, though. It, you know, it, 
you kind of need to weigh the pros and cons and really decide if that's something you want to do. Understand that the um, when you take a lump sum payout of your pension, which you have to, de- if you're going to do it, you have to decide as you're retiring. Uh, you can get all of the money that's in your pension pension plan currently, but remember what you're getting is the present value of a future stream of income, right? So present value of a future stream of income. So the money that you would get each month in the year 2037, 20 years from now, is worth very little right now because they've got 20 years to build up that money and be in a position to pay you out in 20 years. The money that you're going to receive next year in your pension is probably all there. It's probably there getting ready to be paid out to you. So it's a, it's a risk. It's a risk. What's going to happen to my company? If you have a pension plan that's in compliance, you have paid, the company has paid a fee each year to an organization called PBGC that stands for Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. And basically, it's insurance. It's insurance that if the company that you work for goes out of business, they go bankrupt, that your pension will be in some way guaranteed. Understand that so many companies have gone bust over the years and transferred the liability to from them to the PBGC that there is more liabilities that have to be paid out than money right. in PBGC. So when your pension for your bankrupt company gets transferred to PBGC, you may be looking at a huge haircut to your monthly check. So people talk about how the the good old days are gone, that no one has a pension anymore. Very few jobs have a pension. You know what? That's not so rock solid. So, you know, that's a defined benefit plan because it defines exactly what your monthly benefit is going to be. A defined contribution plan will tell you what your contributions are going to be, and it's up to you to grow that money as well as you can. So this is a really important question because I think a lot of people retire and they just assume or take for granted that that company's going to be there, that check's going to be in my mailbox on the first of every month. Uh, It's not always the case. It's not. I hope you're right. Yeah. Can I avoid penalties and minimize taxes on withdrawing funds if I switch from an annuity to a Roth IRA? Big sigh. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Uh, let's go through this question again a little slower. Can I avoid penalties and minimize taxes? That seems to be the American dream. Yep. No one wants to pay taxes. I want to avoid all penalties. I don't want the stock market to go down. I want to and, do whatever I want and, and pay no taxes that's right. for it. So how can I avoid... Can I avoid penalties and minimize taxes on withdrawing funds if I switch from an annuity to a Roth IRA? Oh, boy. Okay. We just did a video. Right. And 
The one thing I said in it is always, 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 always money that goes into a Roth IRA is after taxes. Right. So you're going to pay some kind of taxes before that money goes into a Roth. Yeah. Okay. So his question is already uh, debunked. Pretty much. Um, Okay, so what we're kind of stitching together from this question is that this person has an annuity. Um, They may be in a situation where their rate lock is over. Right. But is the surrender period over? That's a good question. We don't know. We're not sure, yeah. We don't know. So understand that you may have a rate guarantee for one year, three year, five years on your annuity, but your surrender charge period may be eight years. Totally different thing from the rate lock period. Right. So that's definitely something you need to look into. Yeah. Now, if you're uh, at or near retirement age, you may be able to um, take money out without penalty, um, but... Remember something else with annuities is that it's LIFO when it comes to accounting. Last in, first out. So with annuities, the first dollars that come out are earned income, and it is ordinary income. Even if the money in the annuity was made through stock market gains, uh, it's going to be taxed as ordinary income. Now, I also kind of gathered from this question that this is another situation where there's an annuity inside of a retirement account. They seem to be popping up everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have to do a separate podcast about that. (laughs) Maybe next week. Yeah, I know. I just, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So to sum that up, you might be able to get out of the penalties if the surrender period has ended, but as far as taxes... There's really no way to to get around that. Yeah. All right, so we got a couple more questions here, and then okay. we'll wrap it up. Okay. Uh, next up, is it wise to start a traditional IRA alongside a Roth IRA after I just got out of debt? He goes on to say, I am 31 years old. I just recently got out of all my debt. Let me repeat that. Just got out of all my debt, and then in parentheses writes, except student loans. Continues to say, I started a Roth IRA and was wondering if it's smart to start a traditional IRA as well. Okay. Before we address the question, uh, whoever is writing this question, you're not out of debt. Right. If you're 31 years old, odds are student loans are probably one of the bigger portions of of people's debt at that age. Right. So hopefully for whoever wrote this question, they have a minimal amount of student loans to pay back. But until you do, you're not out of debt. Right. You're not out of debt. Some people say they're out of debt because they have a mortgage on their house. And even that's debatable because, you know, their mortgage may be $400,000. It could be a significant amount of cash flow every month that goes to pay off that debt. So while we're on the topic of paying down debt, One thing that I'll remind people is that when you have student loans, car payments, mortgages, whatever, when you get that payment book, they probably don't do that anymore, payment book, or when you get the invoice every month and it says you owe $271, that is the minimum 
That's the minimum. Right. And it will take you 10 years to pay off a student loan or five years or six years for a car loan or 30 years for a mortgage. That's the minimum. Want to get out of debt a little faster? Add 20 bucks. Right. Make 14 payments instead of 12. These are the minimum payments. You can do more. And it's, I feel like people that are young always hear, oh, it's, you should start saving for retirement as soon as you can. But maybe you might be smarter to take that money that you're putting in the IRA that you just opened up and use it to pay off that student loan debt so then you actually are out of debt right. and then start saving for retirement. Right. So let's not put the cart before the horse. Right. So saving for retirement is always a good idea after you've done a couple of things, after you have some kind of safety net. Right. You got to have somewhere between three to six months of your monthly expenses in a bank account socked away. Uh, then you have to start tackling your debt. Then once those things are pretty much under control, we didn't say done, but right. pretty much under control, then you really need to start stepping on the gas for the next thing. And maybe the next thing isn't retirement. Maybe it's buying a house. And if that's the case, if you put money into a traditional IRA, back to his original question, mm -hmm. you can't really use that money for a down payment on a house. Uh, not without paying taxes and interest right. penalties uh, on this. However, you can use money that's in a Roth IRA for the purchase of a home. Can get your principal back out. Right. So without any kind of taxes. Right. That's a good point. So I would encourage this person to consider if they had to weigh the difference between a traditional and a Roth in this particular instance, and every instance is different. But based on the information we have, in this particular instance, it might be better for him to do a Roth and fully contribute to a Roth uh, before thinking about a traditional IRA. Even still, I would rather see him put the money towards getting rid of debt and building up some kind of safety net. One other thing about that, the question asked, would it be smart to have one alongside the other? Um, not really. Because you can only put $5,500 a year into a Roth or a traditional IRA. It's not like you can put $5,500 into one and then the other, totaling 11000 So if you have both, it doesn't increase the amount of money you can put into the accounts. Right. So you really should just weigh the pros and cons of either a Roth or a traditional and pick one. Right. Good point. Well, thanks for your questions. Uh, keep them coming in because they're, uh, if you've got questions like this, then I can almost be sure that there are plenty of other listeners out there with the same kinds of questions. Absolutely. And these questions tend to spur more questions. I know uh, just based on the last podcast that we did, we got a couple of, of folks who uh, contacted us with some similar or related kind of questions. questions. Yeah, right. So definitely, uh, if this spurs another question, get in touch with us. Uh, and we appreciate you listening, and we will catch up with you on the next podcast. Hey, thanks for listening. Listen, I have a big favor to ask you, and it might take you 30 seconds or less, and it would mean a lot to me. If you like this podcast, please let me know. And let the team know as well. 
And you can do this very easily by subscribing to the podcast. It's probably the biggest favor you can do for me right now, and it's really simple. Just go over to iTunes, search for Maluli Asset, and click subscribe. Again, it'll only take a few seconds to subscribe, and if you subscribe now, it'll really help me out a lot. Thanks again.